0: Ho, 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 Merry Christmas!
1: Hello and welcome to a very Christmassy edition of We Started a Political Party, the podcast where we explore ideas from the fringes of politics to build a manifesto so crazy it might just work. Welcome to our first ever Christmas party. The fire is roaring, the chestnuts are roasting, the turkey's in the oven, and our guests from the fringes of politics are beginning to arrive. This week we've scoured the world for you, You've gone from pole to pole to bring interesting guests to learn more about. I'm joined by my fellow political sleuths, Will. Hello, uh, and all the way from Iceland,
0: my guest is the actor, comedian and former mayor of Reykjavik, John
2: Narr. Fantastic. And Graham, who have you got? My guest this evening is going to be the 80s funk sensation, the claymore wielding Jesse Ray.
3: Fantastic. And Crillian, who have you got? Hello, my guest this week is a very appropriately themed Christmas guest, but I'm going to keep it a mystery for now, so you'll have to wait till late in the episode to find out.
1: Good, looking forward to that. And me, Sam Jackson, I've invited a man who's considered hanging up his gloves and trading mixed martial arts for the Irish presidency, a potential new entrant into politics. It's the notorious Conor McGregor. But before we get into all that, guys, let's pull some crackers and kick this thing off. Cracker number one. Bang. I've got a trivia
0: question. In 1958, political novice Cacareco received over 100,000 votes in the Sao Paulo City Council elections, winning by a landslide. However, it was difficult for Cacareco to assume the elected position because Cacareco was in fact a fill-in-the-blank. Dog. Not dog. Fish. On the right on the right track. A reindeer. Not a reindeer. In on Sao Paulo? No. Bigger than a reindeer.
1: A bison. A cow.
0: Mm. Boy, kind of they're a bit more exotic
3: what's more exotic than a bison this is is a good animal test isn't it a crocodile (laughs) so we're doing a
0: children's show Um, are we in the right ballpark it was a female black rhinoceros
2: how did they go about attending council meetings when they were elected
0: made more difficult given that kakareka was in sao paulo zoo um, (laughs) in a cage
1: so a bit more difficult What was the Vinoceros' policies?
0: (laughs) I don't think there were any policies. It was very much a protest vote.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go. Yet more proof that protest votes and protest parties
2: can prove successful in elections. So we pull another cracker, Graham. Bang! Bang! So uh, the question I've got here is countries that have banned Christmas. Can you name three different countries that have banned Christmas? So the United
0: Kingdom,
3: or England specifically.
2: So, England and Scotland, but separately, because oh. they weren't one country at the time Very under good. Oliver Cromwell. Yep. Any others? North Korea. Yes. Although, should we, do, should we keep <laughs> this to countries that observed Christmas then banned it? Oh, yeah. I see. Saying Saudi Arabia, I don't think, yeah, quite counts.
3: I reckon France.
2: Bang on. Oh. 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 10 points to Criddon. There you go. And the, the cult of reason came in they banned christmas in france during the french revolution uh, and they even went so far as to rename cakes and things from being christmas cakes to being equality cakes wow. how progressive very progressive you get that be do well now i think any soviet country but also counts as well because they they banned all religion as a policy of state atheism Yes, in the USSR, they went as far as banning Christmas trees and encouraging school pupils to spit on crucifixes as a protest against Christmas.
1: Perfect. Okay, uh, Crinnon, to you, Cracker.
3: Which British Prime Minister reinstated the tradition of Downing Street Christmas trees after a a hiatus during the previous decade?
0: What a brilliant question.
2: I'm going to go with somebody like Anthony Eden, because the war... Due to war austerity, no Christmas tree. So he'd be in, in the 50s when they'd be
3: bringing things back. I, I was so, going
0: to go Clement Attlee, but for same... Some
3: same solid same. logic there. Any guesses, Sam?
1: Uh, Maggie?
3: Bang on. Yeah! What's oh! oh, Sam. Sam? Yeah, so uh, Maggie reinstated the tradition of the Downing Street Christmas tree after its absence during the 1970s. She resumed the tradition of displaying a Christmas tree at 10 Downing Streets during her time as PM.
1: I've got a cracker now, shall we? Final cracker, let's do it. Okay, so how much do you think you can be fined by the Met Police for sliding in the snow in the street? Ooh, defined sliding. Sliding on snow is the wording I have here. Okay.
3: Mm.
1: A Dickensian amount,
2: like three and sixpence.
1: No, no, it's far more modern. £65.
3: Pounds. No. I was thinking £120 in the line with like you know speeding fines. No. Mm.
1: This law was first introduced back in 1839 and you could be fined up to £500 pounds for sliding in the snow in London, wow. on the street.
2: In, in old money as well. That, that, that's, old, that's a lot
3: of money. Quite a bit. It may be that that's adjusted for inflation and new currency, but... £500 pounds from 1850, if that isn't adjusted for inflation, today that would be a fine of £83,000. Steep, that is. <laughs> like, oh, oh. That's a lot. Whoa, they've hated
1: Christmas back then. <laughs> My God. Okay, so this is an interesting Christmas one. I was doing some research, uh, and I found out in an article on the Daily Mail in 2014 about the world's most expensive cracker. How much do you think the most expensive cracker is, and what do you think it contained?
3: Well, surely it's got to also be made with gold leaf going around it as well, or something along those lines. £50,000.
1: I can tell you you're way off. Oof. Did it contain a roast dinner? I think the items contained would not have fit in a conventional cracker.
2: Is it something called like a Christmas cracker NFT that's worth a million? Well,
1: 2014, so I don't think it was an NFT. It's in the millions, okay. multiple millions. How big is the cracker? Do we
3: get We told that?
1: Well, it contains a Sunseeker yacht worth 3.7 million. <laughs> so I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it's your conventional cracker as packaging. So yeah, Sunseeker yacht, 3.7 million, an Aston Martin Vanquish coupé, 190,000. A watch, diamond necklaces, a limited edition pen worth six and a half grand.
3: How are they calling this a cracker? I don't know. What is the qualifications for a cracker? I
1: don't know. But the most expensive Christmas cracker currently on the market in the UK, I found, was from Harrods. was £750. Yeah, we get it every Christmas. Know, it <laughs> so that's, that's 750 for a pack of six, £125 per cracker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Last year's was rubbish, honestly. Because <laughs> you would think, but just open up, it's just
1: the same tat.
3: Well, it's £750 now, but about two pence in 1850. So, you know, maybe if you go back then.
1: Now, to start us off with this wonderful Christmas meal, we're having, for some inexplicable reason, lamb hot dogs. Please, Will, explain why we're having (laughs) lamb hot dogs.
0: We're having lamb hot dogs because they're very famous in Reykjavik. And so is my guest, who is a former mayor of Reykjavik, a former leader of the Best Party, actually called that best the, party. the best party That's because it was the best party so so he he formed the best party in 2009 at the time iceland was still recovering from one of the worst economic crises in its history there were lots of protests going on uh, john narr was very much part of those protests things got very serious at the time they called it the pots and pans revolution because people were banging pots and pans so the kitchenware revolution and just to tell you how bad things got, at one point, the prime minister's car got hit by snowballs. So it was, it was being attacked. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how bad things get in Iceland. Anyway, he forms the best party as a joke. He knows there's no chance of him ever getting elected at the upcoming mayoral elections. But he does. He becomes a mayor of Reykjavik. Uh, and what a fantastic mayor he was. And I can tell you why. But first, the best party. What kind of policies do you think shot him to power? Only
2: the best ones,
0: sure. <laughs> Only the best ones? That, that is true.
2: Did he offer to pave the streets of Reykjavik with gold?
0: No, no, actually he did not. Uh, <laughs>
2: that, that's a
1: vote winner there. That is a vote winner. Maybe I would have. just say, give me the gold, don't pave the streets.
0: Uh, Iceland were recovering from an economic crisis, there was no gold. So, some of his policies, one was to stop corruption, and he promised to stop corruption by participating in it openly. Participating in corruption himself Yes, that, that was okay. the, the thing a, a drug-free parliament by 2020
3: well, Hang on, wait, is that yeah, so, yeah. if you can't beat them, join them Is that what the corruption point is?
0: Again, I should clarify, this was a joke party right. He did not ah, think ah, he was going ah, to win On
2: an interesting side note, that's an official Monster Raving Loony Party policy Quick question, what is the going rate For uh, Mr NAR? How much does he charge to be bribed? Could we afford it? <laughs>
1: I don't know how much he would charge. He's no about. longer mayor, so it's not really much use. I should say, when he was mayor, uh,
0: I don't think he was corrupt. So a drug-free parliament by 2020. Polar Bear put in the local zoo, which was actually, there was some logic to that policy, because Iceland has a problem, mm. so icebergs float into from Norway and they end up, uh, polar bears have been known to come into Iceland, and Iceland has a policy of shooting polar bears.
3: It's an invasion, then, from Norway. (laughs) polar bear (laughs)
0: invasion. So he proposed we take the polar bears and we put them in the zoo. During the campaign, he promised a classroom of kindergarteners that he would build a Disneyland at the airport. Very popular. Sounds fun. Sounds Sounds expensive. (laughs) Uh, And he also wanted free access to swimming pools for everyone and free towels.
2: Well, that's a good public Ooh. health policy there. It is that's good, uh, yeah. So um, why have you brought him to the party Well, What what makes him Christmassy? What, what's he going to add to today's festivities?
0: It's a good question. And I brought him one because he is my favourite politician of all time. But when he became mayor, uh, during Christmas, he made a holiday greeting video uh, with a Darth Vader mask and a Christmas <laughs> hat, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas.
3: Okay, so on a scale of one to Christmassy, where are you ranking him? Oh, I mean,
0: easily an eight. Eight out of ten. Eight out of Christmas. Eight out of ten. Eight out of Christmas eight out of one Christmas one Christmassy video. He wore a Christmas hat, and he went through the effort of sending the people of Reykjavik a very special Christmas message.
3: It's worth remembering that the Christmas scale isn't necessarily out of ten. It's on a, on a scale to Christmas, so we don't know where that sets him.
2: I think, you know, the bringing the polar bears back. Coca-Cola has taught us that polar bears are the symbol of Christmas. <laughs> exactly. That's quite Christmassy, in, I
0: think. In his uh, campaign video, which I'd recommend everyone watches, it's uh, his own song to the tune of Tina Turner's Simply the Best. And he's there hugging a stuffed polar bear. Yeah, It's quite Christmasy. Oh, okay, all right. Well nice. him
1: six out of Christmas. It's very, very nice of him to come and join us at this, this party. What would he be doing otherwise if he wasn't here?
0: So I think he would be watching season one of The Wire, which he claims is his mm. favourite television show. Uh, and when he won the election, he needed to find a coalition partner, but ruled out any party whose members had not seen all five seasons of The Wire.
3: Strong. That is <laughs> Very strong. <laughs> very, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strong piece of TV and a strong policy.
2: I don't know about you, but I've brought uh, a gift for my guest in the Christmas spirit. What gift would you get for John Nairn? Oh, I'd get him a signed DVD from season one of The Wire, signed by all the
3: cast. I like that. That's very Christmassy. I think he would like that. So what's John up to now? Is he still the mayor of Reykjavik?
0: I mean, you can ask him yourself, Corinne. He's come all the way from Iceland. It's <laughs> rude the to true. then ask me, but um, he's no longer mayor of Reykjavik. He's still involved in a lot of TV stuff because he's an actor, he's a comedian, um, but he is part of a more mainstream political party and he hasn't ruled himself out of running as, as prime minister. So I think John Nahr might actually be a future leader of Iceland and I'd place a bet on it. John Nahr part two. Yeah. Can I give you a quote just to finish with him, which is just one I really like? He says, just because something's funny doesn't mean it isn't serious.
3: Good thought to end on.
1: Okay, so as we finish our hot dogs, let's have a little chat maybe about the some interesting things we've learned this year about small parties, maybe some highlights
2: from the year. Okay, Graham, you want to kick off? Sure. Um, so my favourite moment of the year so far, I think, has been the emergence of a new political force in Yorkshire. Just as America has Joe Exotic, we now have Steve Exotic, wow. who's competing for the Monster Raving Loony Party in Yorkshire, or as the local paper called him, Stew Exotic,
3: which I felt slightly bad. I look forward to his upcoming Netflix documentary then.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, Yorkshire King. <laughs> uh, he looks identical to Joe Exotic. And when campaigning, apparently he had a full-sized lion that accompanied him about about the place. Allegedly. This is according to the Monster Raving Looney Party. Ah. But yeah, he he didn't do particularly well. He got about 60 votes and then went to the pub. But I think Steve Exotic has got a great deal to offer and I was very excited to see his emergence. Fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Who else have we got? Highlights.
0: Well, sticking with the international theme, I've been watching the Austrian Beer Party, Not to be confused, of course, with the German Beer Drinkers Union in Germany or the Beer Lovers Party in Russia. It's the Austrian Beer Party. They've been fascinating. They've had a roller coaster a couple of years. Last year, uh, the Beer Party, under the leadership of Marco Pogo, that's his stage name, he's a punk musician, uh, they came third in the presidential election. Uh, So Marco Pogo, 35 years old, came third. And in this year, since October, they've been polling at 12%, which makes them the third biggest party in Austria. That is kind of the equivalent of, in the UK, having the Conservatives, Labour, and in third place, the Monster Ravaluni Party. And that's happening in Austria right now. It's a very exciting party to to watch. Do you know what some of their policies are? Are they beer-centric? Oh, wow, yeah, you do know them. So they want to abolish mandatory closing times for restaurants and bars. And my favourite policy is a uh, universal monthly provision of a barrel of beer to all Austrian households. Yes,
3: here, here. Does he work for a brewery or something?
0: <laughs> he does not, he just loves beer, as do most Austrians,
3: clearly. Uh, I was sad to see there was no UK beer party on that list you read out. I, mean, I think we're, we've got a bit of a gap here. In there the is a gap,
1: clearly a gap in the market. So we're going to pause there for our fun facts because a beautiful pot of Irish stew has just arrived. In honour of our next guest, uh, the notorious Conor McGregor, mixed martial arts star, entrepreneur and potentially now Ireland's next president, if he runs. He's teased that on Twitter. Uh, He recently criticised the Irish government for a number of things, including immigration policy. And the next election for the Irish president is coming up in 2025. So perhaps we might see Conor getting involved in Irish politics. In looking at him, I've sort of pulled together a few reasons as to why a Conor McGregor presidency might not be too far-fetched. There's a couple of reasons to be successful in a political run. Number one is money. Running elections are expensive, but you shouldn't worry about this. Conor McGregor himself has claimed he's a billionaire, although Forbes has put his wealth... Uh, more conservative $200 million.
3: But he does have a lot of money.
1: He does. Forbes uh, in 2021 ranked him as the highest paid athlete in the world, earning a reported $180 million that year. So in summary, he's pretty rich. But Michael D. Higgins, who's the current president, spent a total of 367,000 euros in his successful effort to win in 2018. So I think Connor can probably afford it.
2: It's worth noting, though, that to get onto the ballot paper, I think he has to have the support of 20 TDs, or the, the Irish equivalent of MPs. And I, I, uh, I haven't noticed a huge groundswell in support amongst Irish politicians
3: for Conor McGregor, but I'm happy to be proved wrong. And, and just for my question here, so this is for the presidency, not for being prime minister?
0: Which is interesting, because he says that if he was elected, he'd be a man of the people, and he would do referendums almost every week on every, every vote possible that's not the role of the president
3: i hazard that he doesn't know exactly what the specifics of the role are
1: quite possibly but anyway potentially looking to get involved he might then you know start lobbying these these tds maybe get some support so reason 1 money not a problem for him reason 2 charisma right you want charismatic Politicians, you can hold people's attention, do great speeches. That's exactly the reason Connor would be successful. He's made himself famous and very wealthy due to his ability to do trash talking and gain lots of promotion and uh, drive up sales and viewing figures of his fights. For that, he'll do really well. And he's actually taken some lessons from Trump, perhaps, on his debating style. He's called Trump a phenomenal president. So you could expect some pretty fiery sort of debate and, and rhetoric from him on the stump.
3: I guess um, this whole push to be president or what he's claiming to do there could just be a promotional tactic for his brand and fighting as a whole.
0: I think he mm. genuinely believes it. And he gives me like populist vibes
3: mm. massively. Yeah. And we yeah.
0: have seen a lot of sports stars, you know, previously very famous sports figures, then
2: becoming leaders of countries. Imran Khan. Uh, you're right. Though, I, I can see him being a sort of, uh, quite a big political Twitter celebrity. And you're know, getting into that Russell Brand, Elon Musk, yeah. Trump world.
1: Well, that's my next point: is platform. You know, he's got 47 million Instagram followers, 10 million Twitter followers, and for reference, Ireland's population is only five million people. On top of that, you know, as you said, Elon Musk has endorsed his bid. or said that sounds like a great idea. So. Certainly, he's going to have no problems getting his message out that if he were to pull together a and of ideas. And as you've said, you know, he's certainly not the first combat sportsman or sportsman in general to go into politics, Imran Khan, you said. And the closest parallel I found was a man who, like Conor McGregor, made vast amounts of money fighting Floyd Money Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, the Honourable Manny Pacquiao, who was a senator in the Philippines.
3: Well, you've also got Ballon d'Or winner and president of Liberia, George Weir. Oh, interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not forgetting Vladimir Klitschko, who went on to be mayor of Kiev and might, might displace Zelensky as the next president of Ukraine.
1: So, yeah, there's a precedent then for sports people with big fan bases to come up and become successful politicians. So we shall see.
3: I suppose it is different to sports washing, but it's a related area, isn't it? Because it's people using their platform and brand and people like them for a certain reason, unrelated to politics, and then using that as a way to get in.
1: Exactly. Fame helps. Fame and money helps.
3: What are we thinking on the one to Christmassy scale for Connor?
1: So initially, I thought very, very Christmassy, right? He's lots and lots of Instagram photos, him and his kids and his wife. Lovely, lovely idyllic family on Christmas morning, open presents, going to see Santa. But he does actually have a bit of beef with Santa. In a press conference, he was actually asked who would win in a fight with Santa. And he gave a pretty fire response. He said he'll go down in the first. He's been sitting on his fat ass all year. He delivers one day a year. I deliver 365 days a year. He's a fat old man, and I'm the world champ.
3: Wow. He so He does sound like Trump, doesn't he? He
1: does take some Trumpian cues there. And there's more. This is, this goes on for a minute. I guess more testament to the fact that if you wanted to go up against Conor McGregor in the ring, that's going to be problematic. In a political forum, he can talk. You wouldn't want to debate. He'd be problematic, more problematic than
2: Trump, I imagine, in a debate. Uh, th- this is my slight concern with bringing Conor McGregor to our Christmas dinner. Because how high are the chances of him starting a fight with another guest? I'm not sure my guest Jesse Ray, the Claymore building progressive man, is
3: going to get on too well with this alt right boxer. What do you think Connor's favourite thing about Christmas is?
1: It seems to me from the pictures, just buying extravagant things, spending
3: lots and lots of money, and telling people
2: about it. He might he might buy us all cigars. He likes a good cigar. Maybe so.
3: So we're trying to wrap up nicely. The excuse of gift giving. That's exactly. Like. I think that's what he wants. And yeah. I think
0: it's very good that you've sat Conor McGregor to the outright of John Nara. <laughs> um, very very, <laughs> very nice. Good.
1: Of them. <laughs> very good. Okay. So that's my guest. We've looked back at some great moments from the year, but let's look ahead. Let's look at the rising stars. People are going to be a success this coming year.
2: Well, I think the the clear front runner in the UK has to be Richard Tice and Reform UK. Probably the biggest political insurgency since the Social Democratic Party and the Liberal Alliance. But Richard Tice and Nigel Farage is an old party. They took over from the Brexit party. We've covered them previously. Some polls have them at 10%. And bear in mind, the Lib Dems are also polling at 11%. The SNP on three. Yeah, We could see reform causing some serious damage to
3: the Conservatives in the next general election. And is, in well, Nigel's stint in that jungle seems to have done him a lot of favours, hasn't it?
2: Yep, he's, he's won the hearts of parts of the nation, it seems. Although where, where they're let down is that Tice doesn't have Farage's charisma, but now he's out of the jungle, maybe he'll start doing more stuff for reform again. He's still honorary president. Or he'll join the Conservative Party, which is mm. very much talked
0: about. Uh, Nigel himself has said that he could see himself as a future leader, potentially, of the Conservative Party, uh, depending on what happens at the next general election. On a a similar note, I think the ALBA party in Scotland, so um, formed of course by former First Minister Alex Salmond uh, as an almost alternative to the Scottish National Party, they've said they'll stand at least 12 candidates uh, in the upcoming election. Alex Salmond has said he expects to win 24 seats, uh, which (laughs) which is very optimistic. Even one seat would, would cause uproar, I think. Let's see how they
3: do. Will will there be any uh, cooperation between them and the SNP? Or was it very much separate? He
0: wants uh, to almost force cooperation.
3: No, I'd be surprised if there was. But they have
2: set up this grand coalition of small independence parties. Hmm. Chuck Brody's Scottish future, I believe, is in there as well. All the the people of of the fringe. But it's worth bearing in mind that Alba have two MPs at the moment... Um, Neil Hanvey Oh thanks for defections Wasn't it yep, was all torn-
0: defections Not elected Yeah but You are right
2: but Yeah sure. but, uh, Neil Hanvey Who was thrown out After accusations of anti-Semitism So he's a lo- lovely fellow And Kenny McCaskill Who is quite a sensible fellow Former Justice Secretary
1: for me, I've gone for Transform Politics. This is a group on the left that we covered in our big government episode when we hinted at the Breakthrough Party. Uh, the Breakthrough Party and a few others, the Liverpool Community Independence, People's Alliance of the Left, all coming together, merging to form Transform Politics, this new force on the left, with thousands and thousands of members now if they're combining all those forces of those different groups. So potentially this year, having a chance to take that membership, take that support and start to run in a few by-elections and local
2: elections. We've spoken before about... Um Jamie Driscoll, who's Mm -hmm. the independent mayor of the Newcastle metropolitan area, formerly part of the Labour Party. He's very good friends with Ken Loach, who Mm. is heavily involved in transform politics. And Jamie Driscoll, who knows, maybe will join forces with transform.
1: Indeed. So who knows, maybe a mayor in their future. Perhaps, perhaps. Right. So the next course is here. And to me, to the untrained eye, it looks like a haggis, but something a bit different here. This is a haggis.
2: But it's no ordinary haggis. This is a Christmas haggis. Oh. It's laden with uh, cranberries, with Christmas spices like cinnamon, all to give you that Noel-themed but yet Caledonian culinary experience. And the reason <laughs> I'm tasty. doing that is because I've got <laughs> Jesse Ray as my guest. For those of you that somehow haven't heard of <laughs> 80s funk sensation and Scottish border nationalist Jesse Ray, He's worked with some of the biggest names in music, be it Parliament, uh, the Talking Heads,
3: Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates. uh, Do you say, so he's worked with some of the biggest names Parliament, as in the Parliament, or just, no, the band Parliament? As as
2: in Bootsy Collins in Parliament.
3: Right, yeah. We we got the funk.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a political theme running through his work. But uh, I highly recommend that you Google Jesse Ray uh, to get an idea of what he looks like, as he always wears um, armour, a kilt, carries around a huge claymore, and most distinctively, he's got a helmet with a feather on top that he never takes off except to sleep. Do you think he became famous in the States because Americans just thought that's what Scottish people look like? (laughs) I think there's a bit of that going on, but I think he wouldn't like that very much. I think he's been tight cast as a kind of Scottish chocolate box cover novelty candidate, whereas he is deathly serious about this. Okay, but his career came out purely by chance, I think he was in a a motel in Boston and uh, walking on the corridor, happened to be a member of the funk band Parliament. And they both bumped into each other and spilled their their recordings on the floor. And then a conversation ensued.
1: Presumably he wasn't carrying a claymore and dressed as William Wallace at that point.
2: I don't actually know. I think he might have been. It's been a pretty long-standing feature of his career. We would have to ask him, though.
3: Well, if he never takes it off, he must have been wearing it.
2: Well, precisely. And nobody's seen his face for decades. So it's Uh what,
3: Jesse Ray and Daft Punk, the two?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) great great mystery people of of, of music. To run you through some of his achievements, though, as well, uh, he once climbed up the Brooklyn Bridge to throw his claymore in a music video back to Scotland. He's probably the only person to have recorded a music video on a a steam train, sit standing on the back of it while it goes through the Glenfinnan Viaduct. He's also got a bit of a background in rugby, uh, so he was very instrumental, apparently, in setting up my local pro-rugby team, the Scottish Borders, and invented his own form of rugby, the reaver rolling ruck, which involves 15 men to power up the field. Politically... He's stood in numerous elections uh, in the Scottish borders and campaigns for independent Scotland, but not because he wants that particularly, more just so the Scottish borders themselves can be independent within Scotland. And he's concerned about too much power going to Edinburgh and burn Glasgow at the detriment of the borders. As are you, Shirley Graham. What is yes, the population yes. of the borders? About 250,000. Okay. okay, but the idea, I guess, I, I'm not sure this is his proposal, but other Borders nationalists have heard that we should retake Berwick-upon-Tweed from the English mm. to act as our port, because Eyemouth is a small fishing village, not big enough to handle our imports. Right. We've already got <laughs> a university in Galloway Shields. Which have become the capital, especially now it's got a train station again. So we're really coming up in it's the world. Useful. That's as, as much as the manifesto has been fleshed out, I think.
0: And, and how successful as a candidate has Jesse Ray been? Has he stood in numerous elections?
2: Oh, numerous elections. He's been quite, I mean, vote wise, not too successful, a few hundred each time. Because well, arguably that's the most important part well, in, well, in judging well, whether well, someone's been I was successful.
3: Say, how do you judge success? You know, is it?
2: Well, he was interviewed by Janet Street Porter in 2014 on the Scottish independence referendum so in terms of media he's got quite a bit of clout
0: interestingly because in the 2021 election he complained to Ofcom because ITV did an interview with all of the candidates
2: but did not include him yes and also they spelt his name wrong on a ballot paper and had to reissue something like 54,000 ballot papers but most sad of all because the Claymore he carries around he never takes it off he always has it with him but then at the last election, the council told him that he could not carry his Claymore
3: into the polling place. As, as I was going to say. In 2015, he was informed of the same thing, not allowed into the election court with it.
0: It'd be quite yeah. intimidating, wouldn't it, if you were just filling out your ballot and next to you there's this man with
2: 10-foot Claymore. <laughs> well, he insists it's a weapon of love, and he's re- you know, repositioned this image as a weapon of war to something more peaceful. <laughs> what (laughs) in the music video he's on top of the bridge and he throws it back to Scotland it comes to find his one true love who's the woman he actually married in real life the Claymore comes to find his one true love yeah that's why just pins her down he throws it back
3: yeah (laughs) Yeah, to, to be fair on that, I mean, the, the, the council officer said it's to ensure that people don't have any perceived risk when they're going and voting. Yeah, but, voter <laughs> suppression. But, yeah. um, but Mr. Ray claimed that they were just being small minded.
1: I think it's probably fair to say no weapons being brought to or part of the democratic process sounds like a reasonable.
2: policy. Let's yeah. put that
0: policy in our manifesto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You,
2: you might, you might want. It's easy to mock Jesse Ray and to hold him up as a as a figure of fun, but apparently they were going to pass up a record deal with Madonna to sign Jesse Ray instead. That's how wow. sort of he was at one point. There you go,
0: Graham. You're from the borders. You're involved in <laughs> politics. Are you Jesse Ray? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is actually a disguise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a helmet on under this face. Ken Clark. <laughs>
1: a helmet on under this face. <laughs> Great. Okay. So Jesse Ray, an interesting character.
3: Now, to move on. Oh, you got one more, Corinne? Well, I'm just wondering, we need to go back to our one to Christmasy scale. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Where are you going to rank old Mr. Ray on the one to Christmasy scale? I'm going to give him an eight. First of all, he could play us, us some lovely
2: Christmas funk. And he really likes fishing. So I reckon he could go out and catch us some lovely trout, maybe to have um, you know, alongside our meal.
3: The famous Christmas food.
2: Yes. Yeah. Smoked, smoked trout. <laughs> With cinnamon. <laughs> the cinnamon's and the haggis. That's not being too crazy here. Let's
1: not go mad. Thank you, Graham, for introducing Jesse Ray to the group and revealing your true identity. <laughs> now I think, before we get to the dessert we're going to have a think about policy. Of course, the main purpose of this podcast, thinking about policies and building the manifesto. So who's got one to kick off? Can I just say how
0: full I am after the most ridiculous Christmas meal in the world? <laughs> still have one more chorus to go. I'd
1: well, be pleased you didn't have that trout that Jesse was going to bring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can share a couple of policies I've come across this year on the theme of rhinoceroses, as, as from my fact earlier. Uh, but one of my favourite political parties is the Rhinoceros Party of Canada. It was for a while also led by a rhinoceros. But they, they've got some fantastic policies. I mean, by the way, for context, they're kind of the monster rave loony party of Canada, yeah. right? Yeah. So in crime and punishment, to help victims of identity theft, they are committed to providing a new name and new date of birth to citizens who request it, but a slightly better policy they have on the same, same topic. To increase the safety of Canadian children, newborns' first names must be at least 12 letters, including a capital letter, a number, and a special character. <laughs> um, on, uh, on education, they suggest replacing teachers on leave With photos of famous
2: scientists Slightly better What's this
3: got to do with Christmas? It's not got anything
2: to do with Christmas Just funny oh, policies So that's actually very interesting Because that ties in eerily close to the policy I found Which is from the actual Wants to Arabian Linear Party That thing brings things back to the more religious roots of Christmas Of course As they propose to prevent identity theft they would instantly, if elected, rename everyone to be called Chris, as in Christopher, which is Greek for Christ Carrier. Can you get more Christmassy than that? We'd all become the bearers of Christ upon his birthday. Fantastic!
3: It'd be pretty tough. Is that- um, doing Ch- roll call? Wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> You'd have to have a number and a special
1: character <laughs> after your name: Chris <laughs> X Y Hash.
3: Just, just have to come up with like a different name afterwards, wouldn't you?
1: You just have to. Everyone would be renamed Chris, and then it would have to revert to their original names <laughs> to avoid the confusion. <laughs> okay, I've got one which is an actual Christmas policy. Okay, now I didn't know that some countries have a mandatory Christmas bonus that you have to pay your employees. In Mexico, is a minimum of fifteen days' wages, and if you fail to pay the bonus or you're late with it you can be subject to a fine that um, amounts to 5,000 times the minimum wage in Mexico. And people are actually advocating to change this from a minimum of 15 days' wages to 30 days' wages. And there's lots of other countries. It's mandatory in Greece, Italy, Portugal, Spain. And it's customary in lots and lots more. So Austria, Belgium, Finland, Germany, Netherlands, France. In the UK, we have no such thing. But there is the department of work and pensions bonus every year people get on benefits get paid 10 pounds like a christmas bonus but people are campaigning to change this because in 1972 it was 10 pounds hasn't changed so people are now saying adjusted for inflation it should be 130 pounds so i'm proposing maybe we reintroduce that adjusted for inflation every year it goes up i I think that's lovely
3: Ah, some sort of bonus for key workers would be good
1: yeah and then i think Similarly, if you adopt that for the private sector policy, you should have, you know, people have to give a minimum of X percentage of your salary or X days' wages as a Christmas bonus. It'd be nice, you know, it's an expensive time of year. It's a classic mm. Christmas dinner chat, isn't
0: it? We're talking about identity theft and then talking about bonuses and <laughs>
1: benefits. And-
0: yeah. God. It okay. all goes
1: down to who doesn't want more money at Christmas?
2: Yeah, yeah, All my Christmas conversation revolves around the DWP. It's an absolute hoot-speaker by table.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is why this is the only Christmas party Graham's been invited to.
1: (laughs) It's not even a real Christmas party.
0: It's not even a real Christmas party. Those crackers aren't real. I'm spoiling it.
3: I've got a policy to suggest as well. It may be something that we actually already have in some sort of form in this country. I'm not too sure. Some of the problem I had when trying to research this and come up with an actually, you know, maybe like a, a, a decent uh, policy that we might actually want to implement. Whoa. No shots fired there. Um, <laughs> I think mine was good. Were, were, were around well, around the problems that, you know, if you're Googling Christmas parties and politics, I found that a lot of it was just trying to push Partygate towards me. That's what everything kept coming back as, you know, Partygate, Partygate, Partygate. It was hard to find some actual examples, but some sort of holiday season volunteering program. Creating an incentive to encourage people to volunteer, you know, perhaps help people with issues of loneliness or some other, uh, you know, particular issues that are more acute during Christmas. Hospitals being overrun, we all know there's always an issue at the NHS at this point as well. So at the risk of, Bringing a serious policy to the table, maybe something around that in terms of, you know, increasing the amount of volunteering positions that are here or funding for it could be a good idea to tackle some of the problems we face.
0: I think it's a great idea, but I think I'm still going to go with Grahams. Let's
3: name
1: everyone Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And finally, Crinion, what have we got for dessert?
3: Well, I thought I'd go very traditional with my dessert. I've brought along a honey glazed reindeer. Oh, it looks disgusting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that chocolate sprinkles?
3: Got to make it a dessert somehow. But the reason I hear you ask, why have I brought along this? Well, if you look outside the window, you might see something pulling into the driveway, or rather flying into the driveway. That's right, my mystery guest is Santa Claus.
1: Why did he not go down the chimney as is tradition?
3: Well, he's having a bit of a break at this point.
0: I've got a question just to start with. Obviously, this is a politics podcast, and you've brought Santa Claus.
3: Mm. Yeah, I'll I'll get into why I brought him for consideration here, and you know, speaking for the man as he's still getting ready in sleigh at the moment, he's still parking. We all know who Santa Claus is, but do we really know who Santa Claus is? The first question I wanted to ask you all is: Why does Santa look as he looks? If you're picturing Santa in your head, what do you picture? Fat man, red suit, white beard. Uh, so with the suit, I, I do know that he wasn't
2: always red. He was he was blue? Green. Green. green,
1: green, green. Yeah, yeah. Why is he red?
2: Big from
3: Coca Cola. That's where he yeah. came from. Is it really?
0: Yeah. It's the corporations, mm. man. Uh, Bang yeah.
3: on. Bang on. So, quick background for Santa. For <laughs> Sam is help.
0: mind blown. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Actually
3: learning some stuff here. <laughs> yeah. So, Santa's origins can be traced back to St. Nicholas, who was a Christian bishop who lived in the 4th century in Myra, which is modern-day Turkey, and he was known for giving gifts to the poor and needy. Respect for St. Nicholas spread across medieval Europe, and his feast day, December the 6th, became associated with gift-giving for children.
0: And did the bishop have a flying sleigh?
3: It's not on record. He may have done, but you know, not everything's written down. Yeah, so he's known across Europe at this point, and then the Dutch brought that tradition of Sinterklaas to the US in the 17th century, which evolved over time into modern-day Santa Claus, which, as we say, yes, he, his image of as a jolly, rotund figure was popularised by Coca-Cola during some advertisers in the 1930s.
2: I was quite surprised to discover, and I'll see if you can guess, When do you think Christmas became an official holiday in the US? It isn't. It it is, it is, but uh, it's later than you think. 1892. It was 1870 until Congress finally said, because the Puritans, when they first came over in the Mayflower, didn't like Christmas. So why is Santa your guest and where does he fit in with with some of our other
0: political figures?
3: I'm glad you're keeping me honest here. So I've brought Santa Claus along because I think there's a bit of a debate that we could have Hmm. as to where exactly we think Santa Claus would sit on the political spectrum and what party we think he would be part of. So I I have two opposing uh, interpretations of Santa, which I can go through, and we can then, I think, have a discussion as I do it. So... Starting off with the idea that Santa's a capitalist. Number one, he's a factory owner. Number two, his workshop is the pinnacle of production efficiency and innovation. His elves produce toys as per children's wish lists—a true market-driven approach to production. I'm that, that sold. Don't, well, sounds sensible, yeah. Okay. Number three, he's a big fan of consumer choice.
2: <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> he gives people presents as directed by their wish lists. Number four, he rewards good behavior and punishes bad. Which is essentially the same as a capitalist idea that incentives are the best driver of individual effort and productivity. Okay.
0: Do you think he's a dictator? I was Ooh. going to
3: suggest this, yes, because I've never heard
2: of any elections happening in Lapland. <laughs> Neither have
0: I. He punishes people as well for mm. bad behaviour. What rights do the elves have? Are unions allowed in the North Pole? I've never heard of it's, an it's elf a, union.
3: It's a, good, it's a good point, and it's it's very opaque as to what the exact conditions are for these elves. I do uh, know,
0: does he good. allow inspectors to come into the factories <laughs> to assess conditions? Because again, I've never heard of that. Are the UN involved? I, I think he sounds very, very sketchy.
2: You could also argue that he's got very traditional views on gender, you know, very set gender roles from Mrs. Claus and himself. And he's very much the top dog, the patriarchal figure.
0: Where do we think in the press freedom index the North Pole would come? Because I think quite low. I reckon he plays a lot of propaganda videos. He's a very self-promoting type of figure. So
1: Is it that Coca-Cola
0: does the propaganda videos rather than him? In partnership, yep. Because Coca-Cola are the evil corporation that are sponsoring many of his activities. Well,
3: well, no, I just think Coca-Cola were the ones hired to rebrand his image. And as a final point on the capitalist side of the argument, he's an entrepreneur with global reach, and as a distribution network that would make even Jeff Bezos envious.
0: What wouldn't make Jeff Bezos envious is his terrible business model, that he produces lots and lots of toys, takes them around the world, and gives them away for free. That is a very flawed
3: business well, model. Well, yes, I'm not sure of his payment. He is he does receive food and drink. He must have some other sort of funding as well. Do the elves get those? Don't think so. <laughs>
2: So we've not considered the environmental impact that Santa Claus is having. He's not, clearly not a believer in climate change as he gives out coal the whole time to people. He's a propagator of fossil fuels.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Graham, because that question's coming up in due course. Ah, uh, okay. We've heard the capitalist side of the argument. Let's see the other side, the communist angle that we could take for Santa Claus. Firstly, he doesn't discriminate between children when gift-giving. So in essence, he's trying to distribute resources equally across society. Mm-hmm. His elves work together for a common goal, creating toys for children, which is essentially a collective workshop. Or a labour cap, in Soviet terminology.
0: It <laughs> <laughs> does stick a lot of the boxes around labour camp <laughs> <laughs> vibes, yeah.
3: He's big on social responsibility and accountability, so in the same way that you can lose social points in China for certain acts, Santa may give you coal. He doesn't own that much and focuses on giving to others rather than accumulating personal wealth, so maybe he's not a fan of personal property? A thought. And lastly, he wears a lot of red. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's very common.
3: <laughs> Definitely a commie.
2: Is he, would he be Santa brackets Marxist Leninist? <laughs> is he a revisionist or an anti revisionist Marxist, do you think?
0: Maybe we should ask his elves. Oh, no, we can't because we don't have access to him. <laughs> so I think the conclusion is that he's a terrible political figure and we should not look up to him at all or adopt he, any of his policies. He's
3: very successful, he's been in power for decades. So what do we think, guys? Communist or capitalist? Almost certainly a communist
0: uh, and a brutal, brutal dictator who we should take no inspiration from. If anything, we should not be accepting his gifts.
2: Yeah, so something of the the Lenin of Lapland about him, I think. Yes, yes. yes.
3: So to wrap up, I thought I'd do some quick-fire questions around Santa Claus. So, on Christmas Eve, how fast do you think Santa needs to travel to complete his deliveries?
0: Four times the speed of light. Yeah,
2: speed of light timing.
3: Uh, He has to travel 932 miles per second, or 3.3 million miles an hour, which is equating to 0.5% the speed of light.
2: Does does this include him going down each chimney and back up again?
3: Yes, it does. This is based on the fact that there's 715 million Christian children across 238 million households, and he has to cover a distance of about 10 million kilometres.
0: So he discriminates based on religion.
3: And he has 31 hours to do it in, thanks to time zones and the rotation of the Earth. Next one. How long do you think Santa has to visit each house? A millisecond. Yeah, pretty good. Well, he's got to eat the mince pie that's been left for him, so I'm going to do 30 seconds. MIT have answered this one for us, thankfully. Uh, And they've calculated that it's a thousandth of a second for him to park, hop out the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, Distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left, get back to up the chimney, get back on the sleigh, and get to the next house. And lastly, how much coal does Santa have to deliver annually?
2: Oh. I'm going to have a bit of faith in humanity here and say only 10 bits. I think everyone else has been
3: nice. Nah, 17 tonnes. Bits, that 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 common measure of coal weight. Well,
2: a a lump, a lump of coal. You're you're a ration per child for being naughty.
1: One naughty child ration of coal, aka a bit.
3: Well, it was hard to find some reputable sources on this one, but I did find a small Florida-based energy consulting firm called Chester Energy and Policy who gave it a shot. They based their naughty percentage ratio of children on a study looking at whether children aged three to seven would lie during a -a peekaboo game you know sort of being asked did you peak yes or no they came up with a ratio of about a fifth of children are naughty and a lump of coal equates to half a kilogram of weight so they came out with a figure of 72 metric tons of coal being delivered each year which isn't enough to have a significant impact on the global environment
1: so that's it for our christmas episode we're going to carry on with our christmas dinner and drinking late into the night we hope you had a great christmas have a happy new year we will see you again in january but now let's play us out graham who have we got
2: There's only one contender for our final song of the year, and that is the one, the only, my guest tonight, Jesse Ray. Here he is with his biggest hit to date. It's The Thistle.